Are you a bit stressed or confused with your love life? Relationships, especially the romantic kind, require more than just hormones and feels to prosper. You know you need advice, support, and effective strategies so you can feel how you want to feel and create the love life you desire. I raise my hand to say, let me assist you with skills, strategies, coaching, and community. Here's what I want you to do. Visit coachjoyce.com and choose whichever love lady package fits you the best to become an official sister of the Match Mary Mate community. You'll have digital resources, video trainings, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. If you book between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 60 bucks off every month of group coaching for our Cozy Girl Fall Special. See you there. Greetings, love bugs. Welcome to another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show, where I discuss topics and issues to support Black women with self-love, femininity, and womanhood and their own personal love lives. I'm your host, your girl, Joyce Robinson Myers, and you're listening to the first show in our Marriage Prep mini-series. This episode is titled, Churchy Wedding Vows. What do you all think when you hear that? I'd love to know. And be sure to use the Q&A feature for this episode to let me know. Now, after this episode, we're going to have three more in the series, but we also look forward to your feedback because we want to know if there are any other wedding and marriage prep topics that you would like for us to cover. I want to shout out all my wives-to-be out there, especially the ones planning or expecting to marry right now, with some extra love for my own personal clients. This year in 2023, we had four brides. You all know who you are. So best wishes and congratulations to you and your grooms. So if you're getting married or your relationship is in that transition between girlfriend and fiance or boyfriend and fiance, or maybe you just know you want to be married one day, this episode is for you and it fits for the ladies and the fellas, just the same. At the end of the show, I'll give you more details about the next episode in the series. For now, this episode will not have an affirmation or journal segment. Also for this series in particular, I am going to be creating episode guides for you. So you don't have to try to take notes or play back Episode guides will be in the show notes. You'll also get an email and you can just listen and then do your work on the guide when you have the time and the space to do so. Now, there is a paid version of the guide and it has a few more resources available for you than obviously the free. But whether you go free, whether you go paid, my hope is that I am A, saving you time from note-taking and having to replay and rewind, but also, two, I really want you to take a deep dive into this content. Think about it. Comb it over. Have the conversations. Sit with self. All the things. 
And so for that reason, I've spent my time creating a resource for you to be able to use as you listen to all four episodes in this marriage prep season. And again, I think we will end up doing more marriage prep series. This is just our first one. Be sure to pick up your episode guide today. Welcome, welcome. This episode is in part inspired by a TikTok video someone sent me. I linked the video in the show notes in case you want to check it out. In the beginning of this show, I'm going to speak to the video specifically. So if you have not seen it yet, you won't be able to follow me too much. So be sure to check it out. Then Jeremiah and I are going to transition to some church history and give an almost line-by-line critique of a version of wedding vows I'm sure we've all heard before. And that's separate from the TikTok video, and you'll be able to follow along just fine then. I'll admit that I didn't like the spirit behind why the creator had made the video, but even still, it brought up some things that I think are conversation-worthy around weddings and marriages. As you already know, I want to aid in the healing of gender relations between Black women and Black men. Studies show that with proper relationship education, we can produce safer and happier dating decisions that improves the quality of our relationships as we enter the dating market to match, marry, and mate. It is my hope that today's conversation inspires you to think more about the level of preparation you want to have as you think about being engaged and getting married. If you're an unmarried couple, I hope this show inspires discussion between you and your significant other about what you all want and how you will get there together. Because why y'all? Black love matters and we're in much need of some Black family restoration. I'm going to call the video the Vow Exchange video. In it, there's two couples, a Black American couple and a non-American Black couple, and their nationality isn't mentioned. The creator is comparing the vow delivery of the Black American bride and the Black non-American bride, taking two clips from each ceremony that he stitched together. Assuming you've seen the video, there are three things that I want to point out. Number one, the American wedding exposed the lack of preparation for the couple, and that's on both of them, not just her, or even the bride's lack of agreement to said preparation, and that's an issue too. It also exposes the quality of the marital counseling. It felt like this marriage shouldn't be happening, maybe not at all, but certainly not right now. Number two, non-American culture isn't American culture and Black American women cannot be held to non-American customs. However, the video creator was speaking more to what he favored, but still there was some judgment. And number three, where did the word obey and thus the expectation in marriage come from? Between number one, the lack of preparation, and number three, the resistance to obedience, I wanted to have a little chat with you all. 
Now look at the difference between these two women. For better. For better. For worse. For worse. For richer. For richer. For poor. For poorer. <laughs> Uh, we hit that snag about 20 times in counseling. Brill made it very clear to Jonathan, you cannot be broke. In sickness. In sickness. And in health. And in health. To love. To love. Cherish. Cherish. And to obey. <laughs> we didn't talk about that one in counseling. We did talk about that in counseling. Yes, we did. So you want me to repeat that again? You want to just keep going? I think we can keep going. All right. <laughs> I'll forever submit to you, Miles. I'll forever respect you, Miles. I'll forever honor you, Miles, as the head of our home. In heaven, they hear. <laughs> On earth, I declare and decree, I shall be a submissive wife unto you. I don't know about you, but I know which one I'm willing to give my life for. The bride claims that the obey part was not discussed in their premarital counseling, while the pastor states that they did. That alone is an issue. Then the pastor asks if he should repeat the vow again for her to recite or keep going on without it. And she says, keep going. I'm not even sure how that happened because vows are supposed to be pre-discussed and pre-decided. You don't get to the altar with one party refusing to promise any part of the agreed upon vows. It's not the missing word that's the issue because I highly doubt that her husband recited the word obey too. It's the lack of order and the flagrant exposure of the lack of preparation, clarity, and agreement. So I have Jeremiah with me today in the studio. And babe, you ready for your first question? Yep, I'm ready. All right, so my first question for you is, what were your immediate takeaways from the video or even your immediate reactions? For the first one, um, a bit cringy. Um, I, I think the husband, the pastor, and the crowd handled it fairly well, but it was a little cringy to see all the pauses and uncertainties and something that should be so, I don't know, serious, a formality, like you said, it, it's already been discussed. And for the second one, I don't know, I didn't have much reaction to it. It's something I've heard before in other vows, um, maybe a bit more enthusiastic <laughs> than, the, than the average. But not anything that I haven't haven't heard before. Um, I get the sense that her enthusiasm was of her own volition, wasn't exactly something written out as that. Sure. Uh, so yeah, it was more of the first one that kind of struck me. When you say of her own volition. Um... Because the creator is saying, I know which one I'd be willing to give my life for. And I think he created that video in response to the whole protect Black women outcry um, that happened, I think, in the fall of 2023. And so he was making a point to say, you just don't get 
protection because you are a woman, so to speak. I mean, his video kind of sends the message that you don't get protection just because you're a wife. You need to be a certain kind of wife, a servant, submissive, you know, type wife. So when you say of our own volition, are you saying that the the posturing and the the vows or at least the message um, that we hear, because the, the vows themselves weren't too different. It was the delivery. So are you saying, oh, well, something about either that couple or that culture, or maybe even just that individual woman, but something about it caused her to be more enthusiastic than maybe what we see in a, a typical American Black bride? Uh, that's possible. Um, it might have been something cultural. I'm not sure. Um, it was just in her energy mm-hmm. that I, I say that her energy was highly enthusiastic. I think she might have even repeated one or two of the statements just to like reinforce her feelings about it. And so that's really where um, I say of her own volition. Um, I'm sure that there's some element of those statements that are prescribed before the the ceremony, but her energy with it was just very, very enthusiastic. As a woman, this is not always the case. So I have to leave room for, for it to be not the case, I guess. But as a woman, when I saw her and I'm just taking in not what she's saying so much, but the energy, like how you said, you have two immediate thoughts. You have, this is either super cultural and some people would say within that a little bit brainwashing, but this is either super cultural, this is the expectation of women, this is just what they do, it's the norm. Or who is this man? This man must be doing something to the degree that warrants this level of posturing and submission and just like, oh, I will forever do this for you. So if, if because I don't know which country, so I can't speak to the culture, I only can say that it is a non-American culture. Um, but let's just go with the, whoa, what kind of man is this who would have a woman ready to submit and serve and give in the way that she is? Do do you see that? Like as a woman, I go, this is either super cultural or this is, who is this man? Do you see that first? And if so, what would you imagine this kind of man is for a woman to be in his service to the degree that we saw in the video? I would imagine that any woman that has a sense of self-worth, self-pride, um, is going to have a fairly high standard when it comes to a willingness to, quote, submit uh, to anyone Uh and definitely a partner on a for a lifetime. I think the bar is high, likely high, if it if it's strictly based on the man and not cultural culturally driven. Mm-hmm. The bar is probably high. And who would I imagine that man to be? I I heard something in a in a previous 
podcast that I thought was a really good statement. And the woman said something to the effect, I need to know what you submit to before I submit to you, Mm -hmm. which I thought was very striking and an important point, right? Um, And I don't think she was just talking about your, your values, but like, in your day-to-day actions, what can she perceive to be your guiding force? Mm-hmm. In a way, I think you can describe submission as a yielding to another force. And that force or that force's will. And so I believe when she said that, she was talking about how can I perceive what your guiding forces. And do I believe in that? Because to believe in you is to believe in that. And so I think that the type of man that can kind of get that type of response from a woman likely has a very clear and honorable guiding force that not only has he professed, but there's a consistency in how he lives his life. Um, that aligns with what he's told her that guiding force is. Um, and it's one that she admires. Mm. And because it could be something that he's consistent with, but isn't something she admires yeah. or sees as a benefit for her own life. Uh, and I think all of those things need to be true for a woman to look at a man and say, wow, you know what? In moments where both forces collide, I'm willing to yield to his because I trust his consistency and I trust the force that he's following. Um, so, I, uh, And I see the benefits in his own life and maybe at that point in her life of that consistency, mm-hmm. right? I see the benefits. I see the material and non-material um, things that are that are coming as a result. So I think those are probably... I would imagine the things that a woman would need to see is true before she was that excited. <laughs> she was really excited. <laughs> she gave off a coming to America energy. Whatever you like. <laughs> Low key it was that. Audience, just so you know, I did not rehearse any answers uh, with Jeremiah. So I am finding out his real time responses with you and we'll continue to see how the conversation goes. So my next question for you, as the groom, I'm at the altar dressed up and ready to pledge my love forever to my bride. Would you have continued with the ceremony with that bride's level of resistance? Yes. Okay, tell me why. Money was spent. Because um, a ton of loved ones and family and friends have taken the time to come and celebrate us. And marriage isn't only about the two people getting married. It's about the families coming together. And if something needed to be addressed, I'd do it privately, but I wouldn't 
call off the entirety of the ceremony for what I've definitely perceived and watching as a bit of an insult. I thought it was a bit of an insult to, especially the second time. The first time it was kind of kiki funny when she did the whole pause thing. But the second time I think seemed to be a little insulting to him. But I don't I don't think you call it off. But there's definitely some immediate talking after. You okay, so you would save dollars and save face. Yeah. And then address off to the side. Yeah, with the pastor, with her, obviously, with whoever your 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 counsel is, but I don't think that's something that you can just laugh off and let be. I do think it needs to be addressed, but I wouldn't call off the ceremony, no. I don't think I would call off the ceremony, but I think we disagree about how to continue. I would have had to, y'all give us a second, and we could have walked back in to resume, but I have a hard time thinking about, I, I feel like how you build a house is how it stands, and so I have a hard time agreeing to something as is with the energy and with the words, right? The words are the commitment. They are the vows. If I feel insulted or if I feel like this is not matching what we discussed or talked about, we're going to have to take a cute little stage left pause and then we can come back. That's Um, reasonable. That's reasonable. And maybe, you know, maybe I'd do the same. I don't think I'd call it off. Call off is like, Thanks, goodbye. But maybe I'd do something in between that. If that type of situation happened, it wouldn't have been because nobody, it, we didn't do our prep work. I'm just not that type of person to go into something that's significant and not read it together before we walked in. So if something like that happens, it is almost entirely likely that my partner is having like cold feet. And in that moment, maybe we really do need to take a pause because it wouldn't have been a misunderstanding of what was written. We would have went through that bad boy a whole lot. I mean, the pastor said it twice when it came to the quote unquote for poor statement. Okay, I don't know. I don't know that I would have laughed. I would have had an eyebrow raise like, whoa, what's happening? But of course, people always give awkward forced laughter and we do hear the the crowd laughing in such a way. I mean, even the groom, it was uncomfortable and awkward, but even he had a little smile or smirk. But nothing that she was doing was against what was decided upon or spoken about. I think the way she delivered it was a little unbecoming, but she she did say the vow and the pastor said, Ooh, it took some work to get there in counseling, but okay, okay. Well, then that looks like what it is. But when it got to the obey part, the pastor specifically said, we talked about this in counseling. And she's like, I don't remember that part. So that for me would have been like, we need to take a quick little. Sure. That's reasonable. And maybe I would have done the same. I don't know. I just wouldn't have called off the wedding. Yeah, I don't think I would have called. Well, I don't know that I would have called it off as a first and only step. 
I would have tried to, okay, we have to be on the same page at the altar now. We cannot Agreed. be at the altar and I would like for you to obey and you are resistant saying it. Or what happened to the eight week or 12 week, whatever programming they did, however long the length, what happened to all of that? Because it was clear in order for us to get through that you said this and now you're saying this, we need to be on the same page. Okay, next question. Should adults and thus married partners be held to obedience? Now, before you answer, I wanna remind the audience of Meghan Markle's decision to drop the word obey from her wedding vows to Prince Harry. So yes, this little part is for the girlies. I know the majority of us watched it. So I wanna insert this here, give Jeremiah some time to think about his answer. Now, even though it caused a stir, Megan did stand on the shoulders of other royal women before her who also chose to drop it. Now, if you follow down the rabbit hole, you'll also see connections to domestic abuse and obedience. And for that reason, many people, especially women, view obedience as a marital vow, at least, as an outdated or even problematic practice. So should adults and thus married partners be held to obedience? What you think, Jay? Hmm. I think there's a nuance. Okay. At least I'm going to try to attempt to create a nuance. When I hear the word obey, what I hear is the following of a command, like do this thing and you're following that command or that, that um, I don't know, dictation. Mm -hmm. I'm a little uncomfortable with that idea. Both ways or just one way? Both ways. Okay. You know, typically speaking, when another adult has the authority to tell you what to do, it's usually because of something legal, parole officer. Yeah, yeah. You know, or you've opted into taking some flight, you know, the... the, People on board, the employees on board are technically federal employees, right? So, or to to disobey them is a federal crime. I am a little less enthusiastic of the idea of obeying like a command, but I do think there has to be an acknowledgement of who yields when there are two different opinions. Um, at the end of the day, for example, whenever you're leading a company, someone's a CEO. And there's always gonna be moments of disagreement, differing opinions. And at the end of the day, a choice has to be made, left or right, mm -hmm. up or down. And I do think prior to marriage, there has to be an acknowledgement about in those moments, 
how are we going to choose which way to go? And so to me, that type of process is more about the submission piece, yielding to a certain force, yielding to another force, but it's not because someone's telling you to do something. I think that's totally different. So obedience isn't submission. Not not the way that I see it. Not the way I see it. One is like, I, I believe one removes another person's both will and opinion about a matter. Mm-hmm. It's nuanced, but I think it's important. So an environment where obedience is expected. Let's let's take an example like um, a relocation because of a job offer, right? You're on the East Coast, you get a job offer on the West Coast in an environment of oh, obedience. And let's say the man has gotten the, the job. In an environment of obedience, the man would say, I got a new job. I'm taking this new job and uh, we're going to be moving. So I need you to sort out whatever you need to sort out on your end, uh, figure out, you know, the situation with the kids and how they're going to get their schooling in the new place. And we got about three months to make that happen. That's an environment of obedience. There isn't really a cultivation of an opinion, in my opinion. And And with it comes the expectation that she just does those things. There is nothing to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Submission is a bit different to me. In in an environment of submission, if that was a part of your vow, that you would submit to his will or just submit. To me, I got this job. It requires us to move to California. Let's talk about it. And maybe that woman doesn't want to move. Maybe it's highly disruptive for XYZ reasons, valid reasons. Uh, And the opportunity to go to the West Coast is very valid for whatever the opportunity um, affords. Neither is wrong, but a decision has to be made. And Mm. it's not one where it's a happy ending for one party or the other. You know, something has to give. And that situation, the man and the woman could choose to stay. It's still a situation where, you know what? All things, all things considered, let's stay. Or the man could say, that makes sense. I think we should do this. I know it's going to cause these issues. I think we should still do it. I want to move forward with it. And I I really want you on board with me on this. We'll do our best to mitigate all the things that you said were issues, try to get ahead of those. But I want to make this move. In that situation, if the woman's vow was to submit, to me, that's a moment where she follows his lead. Yeah, not necessarily his will. I think you said will at the beginning, but more his leadership. Because I don't think that every man leads according to his personal will, right? I, I think they are leading 
well, as you say, the best of men <laughs> are leading with the bigger picture in mind. What will be good for the whole family? What will be good for the particular situation or even the particular person, right? In a family, you may have to make a decision just for this child or this spouse. You're saying the man's ability to lead the situation where he hears her concerns, her input, value it to some way, and then help her mitigate the concerns that she has is more on the track of submission and yielding than the obedience. Yeah, it's a gradient, right? All shades of gray and every man who is operating in an environment of what I'm defining as submission versus uh, obedience might not do all of those things, right? Sure. I think um, at the end of the day, the key is, does the woman have a voice in the matter? That's really the bottom line. Like, does Do both partners have a voice in, in the matter? Even if the even if there's a an agreement because of their vows that the submission would be there on the woman's part. Is there a situation where the submission would be there on the man's part? If he said it. You mean in the vows? Sure. See, that's why those vows are important. If he said it. That's actually going to, we're going to touch yeah, on something. I mean, that's where the expectations are created. Sure. Right? Yeah. So yeah, if he said it. So you said if the woman has a voice, or I guess if both parties have a voice, um, I appreciate that. I think as a woman, I will also insert in negotiating power, right? To be seen as a partner where we can talk it out, duke it out, sort of, sort of speak. So even if I am in your example, even if I am going to, yield and say, fine, I am going to partner with you in relocating to the West Coast because you have some opportunity that you want to seek out. And maybe there's ways that you've listed. It can better support our union or maybe some issue we're going through or even even our family at large. Even if I yield and get on board with that, I know if if I don't want to do that, if I'm like, I don't want to go to the West Coast, I am going to want to say, hey, but if I go, if we do this, I'm going to need ABC, XYZ. I'm going to need you to do this. I'm going to need this to be in place or I'm going to whatever it could be. I would want some negotiating power and what things are going to look like if I have to yield to a decision or reality that all by myself I wouldn't make. Do you hear that too? Yeah, and I that's where I say I see it as a, in my own personal opinion, there's a shade of gray because I do see it that way. But to the extent that that is afforded and, mm-hmm. you know, that back and forth happens, I think that's all very individual Um, So the brightest line that I can say without getting into the gray too much, the brightest line, and I think the biggest distinction for me is one is about like the command, I'm telling you what to do. And another is about um, when two forces meet, which one 
has been established as the one that will be yielded to if necessary. Yeah, and make sure your vows run both ways or a woman is going to be like, oh, just expected to do the yielding and the submitting if the man didn't also vow it. I want y'all to hear that. Y'all better make sure those vows look the way y'all want them to look. I actually did not use the word submit um, in my wedding vows. We used another word, but um, I leave it to each couple to figure that out. And Jeremiah and I have done that work. And so our marriage functions in the way that we designed it to do so. And I would encourage you as you're thinking about what you want to promise to your spouse, either gender, what you want to promise and what you want promised to you. And some need that to be exactly the same. What I promise to you is what you promise to me. And some different people and men and women in general have different needs. So what a man promises may not be what a woman promises, but as long as it is um, an exchange that covers each other, I think you'll be standing on good ground. So fun fact, when Queen Elizabeth married Prince Philip back in 1947, she promised to love, cherish, and obey. And he promised, I'm actually going to quote him, with this ring I thee wed, and with my body I thee worship. And it's not in every single English vow, but in there are times where you can see where a woman promises obedience. A man promises worship. So my question for you, Jeremiah, is what are your thoughts about that obedience worship exchange? What does worship mean in this context? He says, with my body, I be worship. I guess whatever you take that to mean, you gave us your definition of obedience. So just give us your definition of worship. Worship, I don't know. It does it to me personally, it doesn't strike as the right word for how I focus my time and attention. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I already talked about why obedience is a bit too um archaic for me. I personally want someone with an opinion. Right. Um I don't want just a order taker as a partner and worship. It wouldn't have been the word I chose. Now, I can see how someone could come to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think a more appropriate word and where I would feel most comfortable giving my time and attention to day-to-day in delivering would be something more around coverage, creating something that feels effortless for the woman. Mm. You know what I mean? Life is effortless in a way. That's ideal, but so are vows. So I think that's where my duality would come in. Mm -hmm. I think that is a worthy worthy and reciprocal exchange if you're asking for someone to submit to your 
force when necessary. Like, I think it's reasonable to say, hey, if you're willing to submit um, at different points in time where it may be necessary, I promise it's going to come with the coverage you always need. Okay. Well, that's the mission coverage, which is different than the obedience yeah. worship, right? Those two. You don't other. like those at all? Not really. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the obedience either. To keep it all the way 100, I would definitely say, and this, is, this isn't just my opinion. I'm just going to make it be about my opinion to move the show along. But the obedience understanding even the worship understanding and definitely putting them together in the way that I did is a more European thought, right? We're talking about English vows and the royal court and all those things. It wouldn't necessarily be how Black people or descendants of African people, it wouldn't be how we would innately see each other and come together for whatever, It doesn't even have to be marriage, but come together for, in this case, partnership, marriage, family building. We'll make the connection later how, obviously, European ways of being largely English in this conversation made its way over into um, Black, how Black people practice marriage and, and vows and being married together, so... I usually encourage you all to get your Google on when you're listening to me. But today, I'm going to talk you through Wikipedia. If you skim the wiki page named Marriage Vows, you'll see the four main branches of Western Christianity, Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican, and Quaker. For the sake of this show, we're going to zoom in on the Anglican branch. Before I do that, I want to point out that of these four, only the Anglican church includes the word obey. Interestingly enough, obey is only included for the wife's vows and not the husband's. So to return back to the English tradition with Meghan Markle and other royals, many of the wedding traditions in their custom originated from the original book of common prayer, where the vows for the wife are slightly different than those for the husband. He promises to love, comfort, honor, and keep. I think keep is probably the most synonymous to Jeremiah's cover. While she promises to love, honor, and keep. So those three are the same, but also to obey and serve. In 1928, a revised rendition left out obedience. And then that also happened again with the revised version in 1977. So some royal women kept it, while others, including Princess Diana in her wedding in 1981, and also Meghan Markle with her wedding in 2018, they decided to drop it. That obey is a part of the vow. That is the expectation. It is only on the bride side. What do you think about that? I don't know if I have a huge opinion because I wasn't raised in a Christian background, but 
it sounds like Anglican perspective expects that. That's what's expected. Um, there's a certain level of obedience that comes from the woman to the man. And unless you're proactive in making a change with your partner, that's what it's going to say. I also am curious to know from a New Testament perspective, do those align with what's expected within the text itself? Because if you, if you are one who follows, let's say an Anglican based mm -hmm. denomination mm -hmm. and your book says it, it's kind of hard to say you want it out. Mm -hmm. Where's the consistency? Mm -hmm. um, now you can, and if your partner and you choose to do that together, fair. But I do think you have to acknowledge that you're the one asking for the exception to the rule. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Like yeah. If, if you're if you are getting married under the guise of Anglican practices. And with it, New Testament faith. Then and you find a man that you think is marriage worthy and he doesn't want to change it. He's not the one that you can knock necessarily because <laughs> he's following, he's being consistent, especially if he's still, if he's practicing it as well. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, well, everything leading up to this point, you found marriage material, then that's something you might need to look deeply within and ask yourself why or why not that added element. Um, if that's the guys under which you're being um, wedded. I don't think it's necessary. There's a lot of swinging too far one way or the other. Yeah. When it comes to like a history of negative experiences, domestic abuse, loss of autonomy in multiple types of ways mm -hmm. for women, especially in at least what I know, Western civilization. I'm not read up on all the others. And so I can understand a strong push to avoid such a circumstance for a person, for a woman. Mm -hmm. um, I do think the pendulum can swing too far though, mm -hmm. right? Again, it's unrealistic in any partnership. I don't care what the partnership is, the nature of it. It's unrealistic for any partnership to not have situations where one force has to give to the other. Yeah, at some point, even in one of my favorite shows, it's a legal show. And it is clear that when it comes to these legal issues, when there's a bump, this partner makes a decision. When it comes to these type of legal issues and there's a bump, this partner makes the uh, legal decision. So. And they're doing that based on their expertise, right? And their experience and their connections, their connections for sure. Um, so you don't just get it because you're like, well, I just want the power, right? Like clearly there's some something that you've done or who you are, the connection that you have with other people that gives you that status and power, but nonetheless, it's yours. 
And I mean, that's not a marriage at all, right? They, these are three partners who run a, a law firm and it's clear you have to have order. Yep. And I would say, yeah, there are circumstances many times where depending on the domain, this person makes a call, this person makes mm-hmm. a call. That that happens. Most partnerships, there are strong collaborative elements to it, but ultimately one person is making the decision. Mm -hmm. There might be a ton of discussion. There might be a ton of back and forth and understanding each other's perspective and challenges, but ultimately one person is making the decision. You mentioned, you know, kind of what does the book say? And we're not going to open that up in this chat because we're going to hit it in a later episode, but we will do that where, and I think it also speaks to your question of, well, what guides you? What do you submit to? If it is a principle, a practice, um, this religious book, this religion, this denomination, then we get to hold you to that. And you need to make a, a good case as to why you should be an exception to it here. I'm not saying you can't have people who do not practice exceptions to things that they traditionally and mostly adhere to, but you got to make a good case for it. You don't get it just because you say, I don't want to do that, um, which is back to the TikTok video, which was my issue. She, she's like, well, you can't be broke. And sure, I mean, who wants to sign up for, let's call it poverty, However, you are vowing that you will maintain this position with this man. And that can include life be life in. And sometimes that can mean somebody is making less now than they did when they met you. And that's not grounds for not maintaining the position you promised necessarily. Obviously, things are nuanced and gray, but her, her resistance to it was just like, these vows are only intact as you are not broke, or as you are, I guess, whatever he's earning. Uh, You're in it more for what's to be gained. Right. As opposed to the person. Yeah, and the journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, So if you all didn't know, the Anglican Church has its roots in the Church of England, which is why I even introduced the royal court and some of the royals and their their weddings and their vows. And so from the Church of England, that has extended into the English Reformation in the context of the Protestant Reformation. So if you insert Anglicanism on Wiki, you can see that for yourself. If you click major branches, you'll see it there on the right-hand side, on that same Wiki page, the page will jump to the Protestant section. And you will see most of the Christian branches that we would recognize in the quote-unquote Black church, namely Baptist, Methodist, and Pentecostal. Protestant, which is probably a better term for today, as most contemporary Protestants are members of Anglican, Baptist, Methodist, and Pentecostal churches, among others. So that's why I'm using that term. Now, I'm mentioning this because these faiths, their roots, traditions, customs, like wedding vows, still live today and in these churches. So 
So many of which are major denominations and large churches in the Black community. I'm also privileging Christianity in this episode in particular, because according to Pew Research, 79% of African Americans identify as Christian, at least from 2014 when they last did it. We'll have to see what 2024 gives us next year. And about seven out of 10 Black Christians identified as Protestant, right? Belonging to one of those denominations that I mentioned earlier. I'll add the name of the research in the show notes for you if you want to follow that. Now, if I pair that with the data from the National Healthy Marriage Resource, it says that 79% of African-American married mothers and 68% of African-American unmarried mothers reported an interest in religious relationship programs. Yet only 3% of Black churches in America offer any marriage or parenting programs. Now, I'm not professing to be a pastor or a church leader of any kind, but I figured in its absence, since just 3% of Black churches in America offer marriage and or parenting programs, that Jeremiah and I could offer some insight for you. I'll also be adding other and more biblical and less Christian um, insights for you as we continue through this series. So if you're looking for something a little less churchy, stay tuned. Since I serve Black women and couples, and the majority of Black people in this country at least are Christian, churched, or churchy, I'm starting there, but we're not limited to it. The Bible covers so much more than how Christians view marriage. So we'll introduce other ideas as we move along the series too. Now, many Black congregants who want to marry will marry in their church home. Not all, but many. And the church usually has instructions and traditions that they expect the bride and groom to be to follow. One of those, obviously, are vows. For some, couples can add their personal vows alongside the traditional church vows. And for others, the traditional church vows are all that the church leadership will allow. In many cases, you're going to hear some rendition of these Anglican-inspired vows that I'm about to read to you, but in more modern English language. Jeremiah is going to read the groom's portion while I read the wife's, and I want to clarify that we're just reading, not reciting. The groom would usually go first, so Jeremiah, take us away. I, Jeremiah, take thee, Joyce, to be my wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. Thy joys take thee, Jeremiah, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, cherish, and to obey, till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. Ooh, that was painful. <laughs> I would never say this. I would never say this. So love bugs, we need to take a pause, but we'll be back in the second segment to parse these vows almost line by line. See you soon.
Hey, love bugs, and happy fall. I've got a sale to share with you, honey. We're in our cozy girl fall season right now, and if you don't know what that means, you're either not on the Match Mary Mate email list or not in the Match Mary Mate Facebook group. I'd encourage you to join both, and you can do that at matchmarymate.com backslash begin. Between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 40% off a private one-on-one call with yours truly, or you can join one of our group coaching cohorts for 60 bucks off monthly. Get it all at matchmarymate.com backslash begin, but you have to get it in by December 1st, 2023. Where are my private girlies at? I know sometimes you have sensitive details you need to share as it relates to your love life or just who you are as a woman. I get it and want to make space for you. We all need a little TLC and one-on-one from time to time. And if you book between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 40% off your call for our Cozy Girl Fall Special. It's super easy to book a private call with me. Just visit matchmarymate.com, click work with me, and book your individual call so we can connect real soon. Okay, we're back. We left off with the reading of the vows, both groom and bride. We're just going to unpack it a little bit. We want um, to just talk it out real time with you. I hope it inspires thought for you. And I hope it gets you to start thinking about what do I want to promise and commit to in my marriage as best as you can think about it until the end of time, that, that's the goal here. And so we're just gonna do that. So the, the first is, you know, I, Joyce, take, take thee, Jeremiah. I don't have any issue with that. I think that's practical, right? You have to state who is saying the vows and who the vows are being said to. Babe, you have anything there? No. All right, to be my wedded husband, sure. That's the whole point. And then I kind of pause on to have and to hold from this day forward. I think I can, I know what the to have means, the to hold, not so much. This is unclear to me. So I guess my first question to you all is to have and to hold from this day forward. What does that mean to you? Make sure you know what it means before you say it. (laughs) Babe, what does this mean to you? Is it clear? Is it fuzzy? What can you imagine? I guess it's just another form of saying, you know, as my partner, like if you took out to have and to hold and just say, as my partner from this day forward, that's my best interpretation. Instead of to have and to hold, you know, I think about if I had to just take my best guess and my clients at least a good number of you will know how I feel about the Abraham and Sarah story (laughs) when it comes to possession and position. So my best guess is that to have is the possession piece 
and the to hold is the position piece. Um, I think both spouses have a level of quote unquote possession and position. But in my experience and working with couples and just understanding what men and women want and value and what they're willing to give to relationships romantically, familially, um, and even in matrimony, men kind of occupy the possession piece a little bit more while women tend to occupy the position piece a bit more. I do not know if to have and to hold actually means that because I don't know what it means. But if I had to try to equate it with something that I either see in the scriptures or that I just see in my observation and even a little bit of my research knowledge with just how men and women approach themselves in marriage, I would say the possession and position piece. Do you see that, babe? You have a response to that? Maybe, except it shows up in both. Right, right. But that's what I was saying. Like, there is a degree of possession and position in marriage, both parties, either male or female or either a husband or wife to be occupy one of them more than the other. But we can expect that when it comes to men and women. There's usually some duality and the duality represents where one party is probably, let's call it more strong. And then in coming together, it's a nice click, right? It's nice harmony where um, the party who doesn't occupy it as much has the benefit. Okay. So you all can read Genesis. I think it's Genesis 16, 17, somewhere up in there. For the full story, this is going to be the abridged version told by Joyce. Um, but basically, Abraham and Sarah, they have um, this charge, right? They're going to have this baby. They both laugh. They don't know that they, it's going to happen. And Sarah finally calls the shot and says, hey, just get with my handmaiden and let's have this baby. Uh, Hagar does not have the same position or the same status as Sarah, right? Sarah has more status by being a wife. Hagar is not one of Abraham's wives. And there comes a point in the story where Hagar begins to almost see herself or try to act like she's on the same level or holds the same position as Sarah. And Sarah's like, yeah, not over here, right? Not today has a conversation with Abraham about it. And in so many words, it carries the energy of, she can be here, right? I think at this point, her son is in his teens. So she's been there this whole time. She can be here, but she needs to know her place. And if she fails to do that, then she's gonna have to leave. I'm the wife, I'm the woman of the house, so the woman of the tent, so to speak. In a conversation between Abraham and the divine, the divine says, listen to your wife. And so I use that story, and it's not the only story in the Bible, but it, it might be the first. I use that story when I'm speaking to um, women in particular about position and possession, because it was clear that Sarah was more rubbed with the position being offended. Not necessarily the possession, right? Because she willingly told Abraham, hey, go be with my handmaiden. Like her sharing 
for her seeing Abraham as only hers wasn't so much there. What really offended her was that her position was being challenged. Yeah, I think um, the refrain holds true, position, possession. I think that was a great story. It also talks about submission. So, and to be clear, submission isn't about always going with the man's choice. It's about deciding to trust when he has to make a choice. And so interestingly enough, she goes to him, she voices her opinion. And then who does he yield to? What force does he yield to? What force does he even yield to in general? A divine. Obviously, Sarah knew that. And ultimately, the divine told him, your choice should be to go with your wife's perspective. And he ultimately makes that decision, right? Again, he's the decision maker. He's the person that everything's going to yield to when necessary. But the choice that was made was one that she wanted. And it was because he yielded to his own divine force, right? And so everything that we've talked about up until this point, I think manifests itself in that story. Um, and yes, I do think, you know, the positional piece is highly important. And as a man personally, for sure, possession is, is largely where our minds go when we think about um, our partners. For richer, for poor. I don't know why I always thought it said for richer or poor. <laughs> but it says for richer, for poor. Uh, I think that's pretty self-explanatory, right? That money, the amount of money doesn't have an impact on, I guess, my allegiance to you. Yeah, uh, I think you skipped for better, for worse. Oh, I did. I would say all three. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. All of them speak to just the the seasons of life. There are going to be good days, bad days. There's going to be ups and downs. Um, But at the end of the day, you're making this commitment, knowing that those seasons will come and go. And that the partnership that you desire with this person is strong enough to withstand those seasons when they're the low seasons. Um, And those low seasons aren't the sum total of of the relationship. So I think all three are, are relevant. And just because of some personal things that um, I've been through, you've been through with me more recently in my family, sickness and health strikes a real chord, right? Mm -hmm. Like you got to be prepared to show up for people when they're not uh, at their healthiest too. Uh, Not obviously, especially your partner, but others as well. So that's really, I think all three are not controversial to me. They all make sense and they all speak to the same theme, which is we're here for all the seasons. We're here for all the seasons. This is where I think your premarital counseling 
And even though I'm not opposed to people doing premarital counseling in their religious setting or with their pastor, I still believe there needs to be a level of premarital counseling that happens outside of that space. So it can be included, but I don't think it should be limited to. But in whatever form, I think this is where people should define what this means for them. And, and also include what it doesn't mean, right? Like, so for better, for worse. For worse is not you beating me like that. Or for richer, for poor. I don't, I didn't say these vows, so I don't have, this isn't me personally. I'm just inserting what I think somebody would say here. Um, for richer, for poor. This doesn't include your gambling addiction taking us to the poorhouse or in sickness and in health. What could someone say here? Um, this one's a little bit more sensitive. It doesn't include um, watching you kill yourself, something like that. Um, there's um, a principle in psychology. I believe it also exists in other disciplines where it's um, when you really love someone else or other people and you want to show up for them, the first act of doing that is making sure you're good and taking care of yourself. So maybe like in that lane. Okay. And then I did skip over that. Thanks for correcting me. So then the next piece to love, cherish, and to obey. I think this is where the gender distinction is, right? Because you didn't say the word obey. Yep. Uh, the groom only has to love and to cherish. Okay, so to love and to cherish might be self-explanatory. I know in Christian church or in the majority of Christian marriages, the love that they mean is like that Corinthians letter. Love is patient, love is kind in most cases. The elephant in the room, why do I have to obey you, but you don't have to obey me? Yeah, that is the one difference in the entire um in the entire vows uh i don't know you'd have to ask the person that wrote them but yeah, the european what i will say is um men and women are different there's a large overlap but there are unique things about both and i do think a good set of vows have a large amount of overlap and then a unique element to them. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing and what I would critique about these is there's a uniqueness to the woman's, but there's a total absence in the man's. Mm -hmm. There's no added unique element that he's charged with. And to me, that speaks to a bit of a getting off scot-free type of situation. So even if obey was the word, there needs to be an added one for the man, whatever that word is. That's kind of like the unique balance. If you obey, I do this, but that's missing in its entirety. So that's what I would, that's what I found curious when I read them, because obviously these weren't the ones that we read. So noticing it in the moment, I found that curious. And if it were up to me, that's how I'd change it. This is, when I'm doing like pre-wedding, pre-marriage prep with my clients, one of the things, especially the ones that, well, only the ones that want to marry according to like a Christian principle or in a Christian church or have a Christian um, marriage and family, 
this is the thing that has to be flagged um, because largely speaking, they come to, um, let's call it the marriage table. They come to the marriage table believing in their minds to have a equally yoked marriage. And I have to flag, unless you are doing something different, the traditional vows are already written unequally yoked. So it's kind of hard to walk into something with the equally yoked mind frame when you're literally vowing different things to each other. And the way that you put it, I love, there's an absence of something on um, the man's part. Okay, and then we close with till death do us part. I think I'm not well versed on all marriage cultures, but I think the idea in all of them, someone correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's a lifelong commitment, or at least that's the intention. You know, I think so. It's okay. an institution of marriage. That's my intention. Funny enough, I, I have to go look it up. I was listening to a podcast. It's actually about masculinity. It wasn't about marriage, but about the animal kingdom mm -hmm. and how animals partner. And apparently, and I'm, maybe there's different opinions over here, but it was interesting because um, it was said that according to all the research, it is most likely that it is most likely that we were, we have been evolved as a species to be, as a human species to be serial monogamous. And in the context of like marriage, that would mean you're like married for a period of time, for a season, and then you like move on to another partner. So I thought that was very important, uh, very interesting. And I, that they moved on because again that wasn't the central part of the topic i wrote it down to go like look at this book and see what it meant but i would imagine it's likely something that's centered around if i had to just throw out a guess it's probably something centered around like childhood like you're probably quote married for a season with a partner that's specifically focused on like child rearing and then maybe you're air quotes married and partner with a different person for a season after that. Oh, I see. I as see. a serial monogamous. But that's according to all of the evidence and, you know, whatever research is out there, it is most likely that humans have been evolved mm -hmm. to be most comfortable, I guess, and operate at their best. I don't know. Uh, as serial monogamous, where they have a partner for a set period of time and then they move on. So maybe not necessarily till death do you part, <laughs> but. Well, today's man, maybe that's not the case for all. I don't know. That's a really. Just interesting. Yeah, I, I know that to be true in anthropology. I just didn't think about it in the context of this conversation until you brought it brought it up. But um, well, then you know what? Till death do us part. Maybe the death, see, this is why you gotta be clear. Mm -hmm. Maybe the till death do us part is until what we've promised to each other or until why we have gotten married is done. Yeah, maybe. Is satisfied, right? The death doesn't have to be your physical life death. And then of course it ends in according to God's holy ordinance, whatever that is for, 
predominantly European people, I guess. Um, I would, I would, I know what a holy ordinance is, but I don't think how I would define it would be how the English church um, would be defining it. That's why I say that. Um, so let's just close with, I'm actually looking at our marriage covenant now. I know what we said and didn't say, but since it's in front of me, um, I didn't plan for it that way. It just, this is what it is. We had a part in our ceremony that we said to each other. So the uniqueness in terms of, I promise this to you, you promise this to me. And then there was the actual marriage covenant that we promised to each other. That was the same. I'm, you said the same thing to me. I said the same thing to you. In relevance to this episode, the words obedience and submission. And for the audience, we're going to talk specifically about submission in another episode. So this is more the obedience piece, but neither the words obedience or submission were pledged or promised on either side. But obviously we're going to talk about my side, right? Like what man promises obedience or submission? So yes, it was absent on both sides, but I think the part that matters the most is that it was absent on mine. But according to Jeremiah, so I'm going to let him weigh in here in just a bit. According to Jeremiah, partnerships, including marriages, operate where one person has the final say or is the decision maker, etc. So, well, Jeremiah, do you want to speak to that? And then because I think if I say, well, I didn't say that, you'll say, well, but in practice, you do it. So do you want to speak to that? Yeah, I mean, it, you could do it when it comes from, at the end of the day, even if it's on a domain by domain basis, finances versus education versus health matters, there's always a decision maker. Absent of that, there's chaos. Yes. Because as soon as there's a difference of opinion, there's no established framework for how you get to a decision. And that opens up all type of risks. And so there has to be a decision maker. I think people have to stop kidding themselves and imagining some idealized version of what partnership is. And this is in and outside of romantic relationships. But again, when we talk about romantic relationships, people like to idealize things. Mm -hmm. There is always a decision maker. There needs to be or should be a decision maker in all matters. It's on the partnership to determine who is the decision maker and for what things. And in our relationship, I'd argue that a large majority of the things that need to be the domains that needed to be decided upon are things where I'm the decision maker. I would say that also for a woman like yourself who has strong beliefs, strong opinions, strong self-worth, you have to have a high trust that the decisions I'm making are not for my own self-interest, but for the better whole that I professed in our vows. I do trust that um, if we go back to dating, right, and how I view like the measure of a man, that's already been verified, checkbox, I know that's there. And you continue to be consistent in ways that I don't have to go, well, this is not 
what I saw or thought I was getting into um, in choosing you. But I also, that is the case because you take the time in most cases. Sometimes a decision just has to be made immediately. And I understand executive decision-making and what that can mean when it comes to the time that it takes to gain people's opinions and insights. But for most of the time, you take the time to sit me down, explain things to me so that I can be fully informed or sometimes as informed as I need to be and take in my, you value my opinion, you take that in and I see the decision that you made I see a presence of my voice and my insights in it. Different degrees sometimes depending on the decision and, and what's going on, but I do see see that in it. So I think um, when you say, oh, well, someone has to be the decision maker. And I do agree. I guess ours kind of operate domain by domain, we'll say, but you have more domains than I do, so to speak. Sure, that's there. I like to not have that many domains. Not because I I just like less, but because I know that I can trust you. So for the ladies listening, when you're having the conversations around who will be the decision maker, either at large or on particular topics and domains in your marriage, what, what you have to be thinking is the ones that you want him to decide on are the ones that he is saying, no, I want this one. You have to decide like, well, do I trust you here? Now I'm just using that as a blanket um, example, but I want you to think about that in terms of um, men who you would be dating and even a man who you would be thinking about marrying. I think it's important to note that when you are talking about decision makers, you have to realize that there is a ton of lead up to a decision. Someone that's worth their salt when they're, when they're, you know, making a call on something. There's a ton of lead up to that. There's research. There's sitting with yourself. There's reflection. There's gathering input. There's a psychological and sometimes a physical and mental burden that comes with making, especially large decisions on behalf of others. And you want that person to have that sense of ownership. Mm -hmm. You want someone that's making a call on something to have done that work and to have ownership because it is more likely that once the ish hits the fan, if it inevitably does, that they're not going to bail on the decision. They've done the work. They carry a certain ownership and weight that comes with it. And they're going to try to see it through. And for your women audience that's listening to this, especially those that have some type of um, parental role as a mother or a guardian of someone's uh, children, imagine doing all the work for your child over the course of some period of time. And then someone else gets to choose where they're gonna go to school or what, you know, what uh, medical support they're gonna have. You're gonna be like, hell no, I've done all this work. I know this topic best. 
I'm carrying the weight of this decision. I'm going to make it, right? It's no different than the best of men seeking to do the same in their families. And so I think it's important to first find the man you trust that will do that, but also give him space to do that. Even in moments where it means like there's a downside for you personally, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to be trusting that he's done the research, he's taken into account those downsides, not just for you, but for everyone involved. And he's making the best decision he can. And he's carrying the emotional and physical weight of that decision, which essentially I think many women at least talk about wanting these days, but they talk about it from their position, which is the soft life. That's the new wave language these days. Oh, I want the soft life. Well, the soft life is not really having to carry those emotional burdens of tough decisions sometimes. Yeah, that's why I said I actually like having less. Right. (laughs) And so like having less, there needs to be a willingness to let someone else be out front on doing those things. And yes, they get to make a final call, but they also are carrying the burden of having to make that final call. So if you don't want that burden, then be willing to give up that decision-making power in the domains that you all have established. Again, we talk about this pendulum swinging. There is oftentimes an evaluation of what a woman thinks she wants to give up or not in terms of autonomy. But what I've seen is a lot of times it's spoken about for them personally. Mm -hmm. It's a personal retainment. I want to retain my specific autonomy in this specific domain. But as a partner in a, in a long-term, in a long-term marriage or a long-term partnership, you have to be assessing what you're willing to do on behalf of everyone. It's not simply about, oh, I want to just keep, I want to be able to keep my money in my pocket because I want to spend it on my things. Well, that's not how we're centering decisions here. We're centering on who's willing to take both the burden and the blessings of making tough decisions for everyone on behalf of everyone and not just for yourself. Historically, there's been so much, you know, oppression of women within domestic partnership that I think that pendulum has swung too far where it's all about like, how am I going to retain my specific autonomy as opposed to what am I willing to do on behalf of the whole blessing and burden included. So that's my perspective on it. If you're willing to, if you want to live that soft life, then you should be willing to submit to your partner's uh, decision-making and allow them to carry the burden. And then you can live that soft life, but then you have to trust that they are going to make decisions on behalf of the the unit. Yeah. So you got to choose you have to choose a man who will, the way his makeup and the way that he brings himself to partnership and decision-making makes it be where you can have this quote-unquote soft life, as you have said. You mentioned something. I, I naturally thought this conversation would spin us into marital submission. So we'll do that in the next episode. But you mentioned weight. And with weight, I also thought about judgment because the 
a marriage isn't operating in and of itself. People like to say, well, it's whatever these two people decide. And it is, it is, but don't lose sight of, it still has to operate in a family, in an extended family, in, and then over into society. And so society judges men and women, mothers and fathers, husband and wives differently. And so there are some domains that, yes, I raise my hand to have because the judgment will be on me. So we will pick that up in our next episode. Our next episode is titled Marital Submission. Jeremiah and I will discuss that S word that most of you dislike so much, as well as its roots, its attraction, and what it's doing in the Black American community. If you want to share some topics that you'd like to hear on the show as a preparation ground for getting engaged and becoming a wife and or husband, please use the comments feature on this episode or shoot us an email at podcast at matchmarrymate.com. And we will plan to do this again in a few months. For now, I leave you with a quote by Audre Lorde, Black love is a radical act. Thank you for joining me today and tuning into another episode on the Match Mary Mate Show. Until our next time together, love, light, and relationship. Remember, we grow as we go, and I'll be with you in the next episode. Cheers. Are you looking to get your love life together? You're tired of not having the tools or community you need to navigate these dating and relationship streets. Well, honey, let's take some accountability, do our work and be in the place to reap all the benefits. I invite you to become a Love Lady member and officially join the Match Mary Mate community. You can choose your specific dating and relationship package to work with me. You'll have access to digital resources, video trainings, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. If this sounds like something you want, be sure to join today because I'd love to have you. Visit coachjoyce.com to get started. I want to see your face in the place.